Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Dorenda Wilson Podcast. I'm Dorenda, wife to one, mom to eight, nana to nine, and 26-year veteran homeschooling mom. I am also the author of three books, The Unhurried Homeschooler, a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling, The 4-Hour School Day, How You and Your Kids Can Thrive in the Homeschool Life, and Unhurried Grace for a Mom's Heart, a devotional written specifically with homeschool moms in mind. You can find all three of those books at Amazon, you can find them at DorendaWilson.com, and you can find The 4-Hour School Day at any of your favorite booksellers in addition to the places that I just mentioned. Now, if you loved The the Unhurried Homeschooler, I would encourage you to grab a copy of The 4-Hour School Day as well if you haven't already. It's like an expanded version of The Unhurried Homeschooler, and I really think you'll enjoy it. There's a lot more stories in there, and uh, it's just a it was a fun book to write, and I I feel like it's a very easy read, so I would really want to encourage you to check that out. Well, I also want to encourage you to look into the Unhurried Homeschooler Mentoring Course. This is a video course that I created a while back that's available online. Um, The thing that I love about it is it kind of expands on the Unhurried Homeschooler in terms of just helping moms um, understand and grasp what unhurried homeschooling looks like during each of your children's developmental stages, along with lists of resources that I've found helpful over the years. And one of the best parts is that the videos can be watched whenever it works for you. I also made a point of keeping the videos short. So every topic that I talk about has several videos in it, but they're short because I know that sometimes we're busy and we can't spend 40 minutes or 50 minutes watching a video, but we could spend 15 or 16 or 17 minutes or 20 minutes. So that is why I intentionally kept those short. Now, today we're going to be talking about the last episode in my series on sibling relationships. I've talked about the importance of nurturing sibling relationships. I've talked about um, ways to nurture sibling relationships. And today I want to talk about ways to nurture sibling relationships through conflict, because we all know conflict is inevitable, right? And at the end of the last episode, I I mentioned that the point in all of this, that as we're working with our kids, is we want our kids to learn to be other-oriented. And sometimes that happens through work, play, or fun, but often it will happen through conflict. So one of the biggest mistakes that I made along the way was just to assume that my kids would, for the most part, get along, Right. I loved all my kids. I saw what great kids and great people they all were. So surely their siblings would notice that and respect that, right? Oh, wrong, 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 wrong. So that whole thinking really messed me up. I wasn't bearing in mind that that truth that we are born sinful, right? And our children are born sinful. That is a biblical truth. And we see that in our kids along the way. And so obviously that's going to Uh, have ramifications in terms of their relationships with each other. And so, um, you know, thinking that the fights would be few and far between, just that really messed me up. So I needed to switch my thinking. And so when I did that, I changed my thinking about conflict and started to see it as a springboard 
or an opportunity for growth. It is also an opportunity to deal with our children's sinful natures and their tendencies. And, you know, we as humans all have those tendencies, but we want to train our children to have self-control, right? That is a huge, huge, huge thing that we need to be teaching our kids along the way. And this is just another area where they need to learn self-control. Um, but one of the things that happened um, in my mindset change um, as I realized that, okay, I need to stop seeing this as an obstacle, um, you know, something that's getting in the way of our agenda each day and, and the things that need to get done. It feels that way. But as I mentioned in the other, um, in the first episode, I mentioned that um, nurturing sibling relationships is really an opportunity. And it feels like a lot of work, but it is an amazing opportunity. And the same is true with conflict. So I had to change my thinking about that and realize that I had an, the opportunity of a lifetime, um, even in conflict. Even though I don't like conflict, conflict is not something I enjoy. Um, I mean, I think most people don't enjoy conflict, but some people kind of thrive on the you know, the debate back and forth or whatever, they're a little more, they're not as, as, as they don't, won't shy away from it. Um, some of, some of the stronger personalities, but I, I'm, I'm not that. And so I did not like conflict. I don't like conflict. I still don't like conflict to this day, but I had to figure out how to address conflict in a healthy way. And I needed to go to the scriptures to do that. And I needed to practice it with my children. So I was learning right alongside of them. It's not like I went into this going, okay, um, I have done all this study on conflict and now I know how to work through conflict with my children. No, it was very organic. It was very learn as I go kind of thing. and But it was one of the best things that I ever did. So one of the things that I started doing when I felt broadsided with with conflict. And for me, what that looked like is in a house full of kids, everything could be going along great. And then all of a sudden, it just, it's chaos. People are fighting and you're thinking, how did we get here? What just happened? Um, I don't even know what to do. And I feel my blood pressure rising and me uh, wanting to respond emotionally and, you know, get upset and yell at everybody and um, just to try to bring some control. And I, I knew that that was not the way that I needed to handle it. And so um, I, I chose something that was super, super helpful. And I didn't do this every time, but when I just when I felt broadsided by it. So I would say to all the kids, okay, come in the kitchen. Come, everybody gather in here. I wouldn't even try to address anything. And I would say, okay, everybody, we're gonna bow our heads and we're gonna pray. Um, and we and I would just invite God into the mess. And the nice thing about that pause right there, um, the prayer was like a pause. Everybody had to stop talking because we were praying, right? The emotions had some time to settle down. I had some time to settle down. And, and I just kept praying until I felt like <clears throat> I was ready to actually address the issues. And so um, that was super, super helpful because I realized how important hitting the pause button really is when it comes to conflict. And so we, I just would invite God into the mess. You know, I think it's so easy to think and for our children to think that 
we have to clean up before we before we you know invite God to help us with something. And it's just sort of our human nature that we think like that. So by me stopping in the middle of the mess, I was teaching my children that God isn't afraid of the mess. And he wants us to invite him into the mess because he loves to bring order to chaos. And so I want my kids to know you can go to God for anything. When you feel um, you know, just messed up, you feel like you're you're just kind of a hot mess. He wants to hear from you. He wants you to come to him. And so this was a way to set that example. And so that was just one thing that was super helpful. And again, I think it had more to do, it, it had everything to do with inviting God into it, but it also had something to do with hitting that pause button. So there is an, I, I mentioned before that there is an aspect of um, overcoming that really bonds people together. Well, conflict is something to overcome, right? It is something that um, has to be addressed. And obviously not every single time, every little incident doesn't have to have a long, you know, drawn out uh, conversation about it. I usually saved those conversations for when I could see there was a pattern going on, or I could see that there was, um, you know, bitterness and resentment. And, and how I knew that was that the arguments would escalate really, really quickly, and and it would and it would happen between you know certain kids that struggled more in their relationships a lot of times, um, just because maybe they were so different, or um, a lot of times it had something to do with the fact that they were holding resentment towards the other, and so they would start to argue, and they would start bringing up all these other things from the past, which said to me there was a need for forgiveness and forgiveness hadn't happened. And so um, in those situations, um, I would try to uh, let everybody hit the pause button let, and, then, and then bring them back together when there's been a little bit of time to think and pray a little bit and then come back together and first address the resentment. Um, clearly, there, was, there were things lingering there. And so we needed to say, you know, I needed to let them talk and I needed to let them say, you know, there are some, it sounds like there's some things you're holding against your brother that, that you are still upset about that have happened in the past because I'm hearing you say this, this, and this. And then I would get them to say that, you know, they would say something like, he always does this. And every time this happens, this is what he does. So then we could address that and each person could take responsibility for their part in it. But again, this is overcoming um, an obstacle together. And you know what I love <clears throat> is that even as uncomfortable as conflict is, um, I love that as believers, we can take what Satan means for evil and and let God use it for good as we're processing and working through these things. We want our kids to understand that conflict isn't a bad thing. Um, and we want them to have the tools that they need to know how to walk through it in a healthy way and to grow in confidence that they can actually do it. So as as they learn that with their siblings within the home, they go into adulthood with more confidence that when they face a conflict, they will be able to um, they will be able to overcome it, they will be able to address it in a healthy way. 
And they will know that because they have practiced it at home with their siblings. One of the most important things in a conflict, I believe, is that each person takes responsibility for their part. Now, you can't force somebody to do that. Um, But you probably have noticed that some of your kids tend to take more responsibility than they should for certain, you know, they and others tend to take less than they should. And so there has to be a balancing out of that. And that's kind of our part as moms is to make that um, distinction. And I would ask my kids a lot of times, okay, so I understand what's happened here. What is your responsibility in this situation? What are you responsible for? And then have them apologize for the things that they Uh, that they did wrong, the ways that they handled it poorly. For instance, one child said something to the other that set the other one off, okay? And the other one wants to blame the one who started it. He started it, right? But at that point in time, each of them are responsible for something. The, The instigator is responsible for instigating, and the responder is responsible for how he responded to the instigator. He's still responsible for that. Regardless of what the instigator did, the responder still needs to be held accountable for his response. And so this is something that I think is so important to keep in mind as we're working through conflict with our kids. And again, I want to bring that um, <clears throat> that that uh, phrase from the last, um, I think it was from the last episode, seek to understand before being understood. I think this is something we slowly over time teach our children um, as they're working through conflict. Um, We want to encourage them to try to understand the other person before being understood. And again, that is a, um, that's sort of a an an interesting journey because it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be something we're keeping in the forefront of our minds and we're sort of like trying to migrate that direction. So um, there's so much about conflict that we learn. We learn about our own hearts. We learn about our kids' hearts. and And we learn this through conflict. So I look at it like this is an opportunity for growth. This is an opportunity to understand better um, who the other person is and who we are. It's also often an opportunity to address our own sin. And, you know, I mentioned before apologizing. People have asked me, um, you know, what if my child uh, doesn't have, they don't feel sorry? Um, I, I believe that we have to go back to a biblical model. And I think what that would be is to not to say, I'm sorry, if you're not actually sorry, but to ask forgiveness. Because whether you're sorry or not, you have offended your brother. And the scripture tells us that we are to ask forgiveness for that. So you don't have to feel sorry, but you do need to ask forgiveness for your sin in it. And I know that can get a little dicey too because sometimes the kids don't think they've done anything wrong. So, you know, I'm obviously not able to give an exhaustive talk on conflict, but I am trying to sort of um, hit the highlights of some things that helped us and just um, give you maybe some tools that will hopefully be helpful for you. But in this place of conflict, it really is um, a place to learn to take responsibility for our own choices and negotiate the effects of other people's choices, okay? So this is a life skill. You're gonna use this all through life. We use it every day and we don't even realize it. For instance, if I'm driving down the road and someone pulls out in front of me, 
um, that's that is an I am having to deal with the effect of someone else's choice, but I'm still responsible for how I respond to it. If I yell and get mad and get angry and call the person names, I'm responsible for that. Whether they, uh, you know, whether they intended to pull out in front of me, whether it was intentional or not, it doesn't matter. I'm still responsible for that. But we have to understand that we, like I said, are negotiating the effects of other people's choices all day long. Another example would be um, I asked my husband to bring home, um, stop at the grocery store and pick up a couple things for dinner. Well, if he forgets and comes home without it, I have to make a decision as to how I'm going to respond to that. And so I think this is just all part of this bigger picture of learning what conflict is and what we're responsible for in it. And again, this is a life skill. This negotiating the effects of other people's choices is a life skill. Now, as you can imagine, um, with eight kids in 13 and a half years, we had our fair share of sibling conflict. Um, again, I learned to hit the pause button and take a break. Um, and you know, one of the things that I did, this is kind of a fun little story, I didn't always know what to do. I, I never went into a day thinking, gosh, I know what I'm going to do when these two kids fight. It was just, Lord, please give me wisdom and help me to know what to do. And and that this was the other thing is I didn't, I stopped assuming that my kids weren't going to fight during the day. And I started assuming that they were. So I would, you know, just be prayerful, Lord, prepare me for any conflicts today and help me to know how to handle them in a way that glorifies you and that is, you know, actually going to help our kids grow in, you know, in the nurture and admonition of you. So one time there were a couple of our boys, oh gosh, I don't know how old they were, maybe eight and 10. And they were just going at it. They were just on edge all the time toward each other. And it just felt like at any moment, a boxing match was going to break out. So finally, I just, I pulled this car mat out that we had and I flipped it over. And they're those kind of spongy ones that you used to be able to buy at Costco. I flipped that over and we had some boxing gloves that I had bought at a yard sale. And I put the boxing gloves on each of them and I put them in the corners and I said, okay, here's how this is going to work. You've got five minutes to beat the tar out of each other. Um, But, you know, if you get hurt or whatever, I'm not going to feel sorry for you. You guys have been... Uh, seem seem like you have been wanting to do this for a long time, so I'm just going to give you your opportunity. Um, ready, set, go. And so they move to the middle, and they start kind of like swinging at each other, and then they just both started laughing and fell on the floor, rolling around, and it just diffused that tension that had been going on for quite some time. And so, you know, God can just give us this great inspiration, but we've got to have margin in our day to be able to deal with these things well. But the benefits, the benefits are immense as our kids go into adulthood. Um, And again, these lessons did not come in neat little packages. They came often through cries of desperation and me calling out to the Lord for wisdom and him just being faithful. The other person that I love to talk to about this was my husband. He was amazing, especially when it came to the boys. Um, I I told a story uh, previously uh, about uh, one idea that our husband had that we implemented, but I find it interesting that I sometimes would ask him for advice, and then I would think, oh, that's never going to work, and then I, I would just dismiss it, forgetting 
that he is the father of our kids. He's the head of the household. He's my covering. And I came to him for something. And I, I mean, I can discuss it with him if I really think it's not going to work. You know, there's there's definitely room for discussion. But what I found myself doing too much of the time was dismissing his ideas. And when I stopped doing that, I found that often they were incredibly effective, way more effective than I ever expected. So be sure that you are talking to your husband some about this as well, because again, they can often offer a fresh perspective. They know you, they know your kids, they know your family culture. So I remember back when um, our oldest two were right around teenagers, and I am telling you, they were struggling big time in their relationship, two girls, and they, they it was like they didn't even speak the same language. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't know how to make their relationship better. And I was just, I was praying about it. Finally, I just sat down with them one day and I said, are you guys happy with the way your relationship is? And they said, no, we really aren't. We don't really like this, but we don't know what to do. So I had learned this uh, this communication tool back in, I think it was either premarital counseling or in a little video series that we did with some couples early on in our marriage, where Gary Smalley talked about drive-through talking. And I have a whole podcast on this. So if you want to go and listen to more about that, um, I will link that in the podcast notes. Um, but what it is basically is, you know, when you go through the drive-through at a fast food restaurant, you you tell them what you want, and then they repeat the order back to you to make sure that they heard you correctly. Um, it is a way to seek to understand before being understood. So I had the two girls sit across from each other, and I would say, okay, I want you to tell her what's bothering you about your relationship and the ways that maybe she has hurt you. And so I would have the other one just listen for a few minutes. And then, um, and then I would have the other one repeat back to her what it is she heard her say. And the first time we did this, I was thinking to myself, were you even in the same room? Because what I heard the other person say wasn't at, at all what the other daughter heard her say. And so it was just amazing. That showed me there was just a huge gap in their communication um, because just mainly probably because their personalities were so different. And so we started utilizing that drive-through talking. And my uh, my kids, especially those older ones, have used that in their marriages as well. And it's been super, super helpful. But there's a bigger, longer explanation of it in, um, in my podcast on drive-through talking if you want to hear more details on that. Again, it's a seek to understand before being understood. Now, one thing that our kids need to learn to do is to fight fair. Um, and so this is; these are just some of the ways that I found to be helpful for our particular family. Um, it gave me time to be a little mindful and prayerful about how I was going to approach conflict. So um, I'm just going to give you a few, about four suggestions here. So the first is not to be too quick to jump in and solve the problem. Sometimes as moms, we just want the problem solved. We want the conflict over with, but we're not allowing them to go through the process because the process is what teaches them more than if we just jump in. First of all, they're not going to own it if we don't give them some time to own it. So let your kids try to work it out. This is what we did. We let our kids try to work it out first because it gives them ownership of the situation. They're invested with words. They're invested with their heart. They're invested with time. Um, the second thing is to just listen 
and be aware of where the conflict is going. So I just made sure that there was a general respect amongst our kids. How are they communicating with one another? I really, really, really emphasized at all times that they were respectful towards one another, but especially during conflict. Um, You know, sometimes you have to let a little bit of it go on just to help them you know, make their way through the process, but listen to your gut instinct when, when it, um, you know, when it's, it, it can get to the point where it's just clearly not protective, but again, don't be too quick to jump in. Sometimes we assume, um, but when it's really becoming clear that it's not productive, it may be time to step in and ask ourselves these questions. Is the conflict just going round and round and round in circles? Is it becoming deeply hurtful? Are emotions escalating too high? So it's important to remember that God says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And we want our kids to know that words are powerful. And so when and if we need to step in, we need to make sure that that's clear. Okay, I hear what you're saying to your brother. You need to understand that words are powerful and you can never take them back. And so I'm going to end this right here. And we're gonna you you we're gonna have you guys stop talking, and um, then I would ask questions: Are you treating him like you want to be treated? Now, if the if the emotions have just gone out the window, it's time to hit the pause button. You know, you're gonna know that we're not gonna get anywhere if I start asking questions. This is just gonna turn into another fight. So give them five, 10, 15 minutes, whatever they need. That gives you time to pray, encourage them to be prayerful, and then to come back to the table together. And basically ask, I ask these questions. Are you treating him like you would want to be treated, right? That's what the scripture says. We're to uh, do unto others as we would have them do unto us. That is Oh, one of the two greatest commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Are you treating him the way you would want to be treated? Um, So essentially, are you loving your neighbor? Because by asking that question over and over and over again, um, I really believe that eventually our children learn empathy. Now, some pick up on that sooner than others, but this is what we want. We want our children to to sit in a conflict and look at the other person and think, how would I want to be treated if I were them? And so um, asking, are you treating him like you would want to be treated? Then I would let them tell their story one at a time. And that was always really interesting because sometimes the first go around was literally like, were you guys even together when this happened? Because these are two very different stories. And um, and I would just, you know, if there were discrepancies in the story, I would tell them that I couldn't be a fair judge without having all the facts. And clearly someone wasn't being entirely honest, so we needed to talk about that. Um, and so one thing that I really want to share with you that I ran across the other day that I thought was just so good. Um, so there is a biblical justice. And the definition of biblical justice, what biblical justice requires is multiple witnesses, matching stories, and objective facts considered by an appropriate authority. And mom, you are the appropriate authority. So often I would bring 
um, other kids in to say, you know, you were here when this happened. Tell me, tell me what went on. And then we would be able to ferret out a lot of the discrepancies and get down to what actually happened. And so that the stories were more, uh, more aligned and we had the objective facts and then we could move forward from there. In fact, I remember my daughter shared with me recently, and I'd totally forgotten about this, I would set up a courtroom and I would be the judge and we would have a couple of attorneys, you know, especially if it was kind of a, I don't know if I did it, you know, when it was an actual argument or if we just set it up for fun, but I wanted the kids to see like, this is what a courtroom situation looks like. And it requires witnesses. It requires objective facts. It requires matching stories and it requires an appropriate authority. And so these are the things we can actually teach our kids while we are working through conflict with them. Um, and then again, take a break if they need to. Um, think about it. Come back. Try to get the story straight. Um, I think also it's important to remember that uh, many times when anger is present, it's because somebody feels vulnerable. I remember a while back I had heard this and my husband was kind of ranting and raving about something. He seemed kind of angry about something. And I looked at him and I said, what are you afraid of? And he immediately could tell me what he was afraid of. And I just thought that was so fascinating and such an affirmation that many times anger is coming from a feeling of vulnerability. So I think it's a good thing to keep in mind as we're working through conflict and teaching our kids to do the same. And the last um, suggestion I wanted to make is um, something that we did was encourage them to resolve before bedtime because what happens is it gives them a time limit, a boundary. It is too easy to forget to go back and address things that really do need to be addressed because we don't want bitterness and resentment building between our children. And so um, the scripture, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So I would encourage my kids, listen, we don't want to give the devil a foothold in our home. So let's try to get this worked out before bed. But I find it interesting because God also provides another scripture for those situations where that's just not possible. Just say you're right, driving home from someplace and there's just this been this big blow up in the car between a couple of kids. It's 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 you know eleven o'clock midnight. Everybody's tired. That is not the time to work through those things. So. Um, Psalm 4.4 says, be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. So we have a couple of options there, but the, the, the um, common thread is be angry and do not sin. So we want to let our kids know that being angry is not wrong. Having that emotion is not wrong, but it's how we respond to it. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to take it and sin because we're angry, or are we going to be angry and not sin? And so these are just wonderful opportunities to equip our kids um, for relationships, for healthy relationships, and for healthy adult relationships. But we want all, we want each of them to take ownership. Um, they need to take responsibility for their part. Um, all right, let me. Check my notes here. So sometimes when it came to conflict, um, I would use uh, 
some activities and different things to help our kids work through it, especially with the boys. Um, it seems like they needed more physical responses. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, two of our boys, uh, Luke and Sam, used to just, they, they're they very different in personality, and they would just, and they're right next to each other in, in birth order. So they would just struggle sometimes with getting along and with understanding each other. And at one point, they had a pair of handcuffs. I think they were maybe, I don't know, 9 and 11 or something. And they were fighting over these handcuffs. And I just said, you guys need, you need to quit. Stop. You know, you don't, you don't need to fight over them. And they just kept going on. So finally, I said, give me the handcuffs. So I grabbed the handcuffs and I said, come over here. And I handcuffed them together and I gave them scrub, scrubbies and I sent them to the bathroom to scrub the bathtub together, handcuffed. Uh, because sometimes giving them a project to work on together, a physical thing, especially for boys, can really actually bond them ultimately. And so they um, they came out at one point and they're like, please just un- you know untie the handcuffs, we'll clean the bathtub. And I was like, nope, get back in there and finish it. So the interesting thing is now they're 23 and 21 and they are just, they're such good friends. And I think back to if I had allowed bitterness and resentment to grow between them, um, you know, we can't be 100% responsible for that because sometimes our kids will hang on to resentment and we have done everything we can for the relationship. But I think at the end of the day, I just want to be sure that I've done what I can to uh, help them um, understand each other better, be able to work through conflict better, and to um, hopefully just be closer when it's all said and done. Now, sometimes you have them work together, and it and it becomes clear it's not going to work. They are bickering, and they are fighting. And then what I would do is do the polar opposite. I would keep them away from each other. They couldn't look at each other. They couldn't eat together. They couldn't play together. They couldn't do—I mean, I made it ridiculous, like ridiculous— and it was amazing when they didn't have access to each other, how much more they appreciated each other. And, you know, I think that my perseverance and being willing to do crazy off-the-wall things sent a message to my kids that these relationships were very, very important. Mom is taking the time and putting in the effort, and she gets really creative to make this happen. And I don't know that it was a conscious absorption of that idea, but I think— um, as adults, they look back and are very conscious and aware of that. So, um, you know, I just think it's important for us to understand that as we're working through conflict, um, and we're and we're doing this in in a process. Like I mentioned before, this is a process. It is a journey. It's not. It's never perfect, and it never happens overnight. But slowly, over time, our kids do become bonded. But the flip side is they also learn to be accountable to each other. So that bonding brings a certain amount of accountability to each other. It's like they created their own healthy version of peer pressure. Um, And I love that. I know that our adult kids, they care about one another enough to have hard talks if they are needed, but they're not up in each other's business all the time, and they're very respectful of one another. And so I think at the end of the day, um, that is just something to be grateful for and certainly worthy of our time and effort. 
And I think in in closing, I'd like to remind all of us to be sure that you're setting an example in your own relationships because more is caught than taught. Our kids will absorb more of what we do than what we tell them. We have to ask ourselves the hard questions. What kind of example do I set in my own relationships? Am I setting healthy boundaries? Am I treating others the way I want to be treated? How about my marriage, my friendships, the difficult people in my life? What example am I setting for my children? We are not going to do this perfectly, but they need to see that we're trying, that we're making it a priority, and we're making efforts, and we recognize that relationships are important and worth the time and effort. And then lastly, blanket all of this in prayer, consistently lifting up our kids and their relationships with each other to the Lord. Because unless God does the work in their hearts, it's it's pointless, right? We know that we are in cooperation with God on this, and we're working together as a team as we are addressing these conflicts with our children. We, we obviously, with our children, start with working on behavior Because in the very early years, obviously, you're not going to have these complicated, complex conversations. You're just going to be putting things very simply. You can't treat your brother like that. You know, um, you're you're going to need to go to sit down and be by yourself for a while because you're not treating him well. You know, things like that. But ultimately, we want to work towards ownership. And remember this, we are looking for improvement, not perfection. So rejoice in every little bit of progress. God is always working. We need to ask him to give us a clear perspective and, and, and show us where he's working so that we can cooperate with what he is doing in our kids' hearts. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these kids. We thank you for the opportunity to work through conflict, Lord, even though we look at it and it seems so messy and yucky and we don't always know exactly what to do. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you that you promised us in James that if we asked for wisdom, that you would give it generously. So I ask that you would pour out a generous portion of wisdom on every mom listening so that as she works through conflict with her children in the coming days and weeks and months and years, that she would have wisdom from on high. Thank you for giving us your word that helps give us that wisdom in knowing how our children are supposed to treat each other and helping us to understand your heart towards us, um, to understand what grace looks like, to understand what correction looks like. Lord, just pour out a blessing on every family represented here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.